Hey everyone, it's Eves. Just wanted to let you know that you'll be hearing an episode from me and an episode from Tracy V. Wilson today. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello, I'm Holly Fry. Welcome to the podcast. I am sitting in for Tracy V. Wilson this week. It is December 25th, so if you celebrate Christmas, I hope you're having a Merry Christmas. But on this day in 1758, a very important thing happened. Halley's Comet returned. That was important because it had been predicted, and it confirmed the work that Edmund Halley had been doing. Edmund Halley, you will also sometimes hear it pronounced Holly, sometimes Haley, but Haley is generally considered wrong, and whether Halley or Holly is correct is a matter of some debate. I'm going with Halley. And Edmund Halley first spotted the comet that would later be named for him in 1682. To be clear, this was not the first time this comet had been spotted. It was just the first time that Edmund Halley saw it. Comets prior to Halley's work in astronomy were often associated with an assortment of misconceptions historically. They had been thought to be omens sent by deities, harbingers of some sort, or sometimes just unpredictable and unexplained anomalies of the sky. In 1684, Halley paid a visit to Isaac Newton to discuss issues of celestial motion. And this meeting has become, in and of itself, something of a famed moment in astronomy history, a pivotal discussion that resulted in an expansion of human knowledge regarding how the universe works. Newton, working on some of the ideas that he and Halley had discussed and sort of putting together some of the things that he had already been working on, eventually published his work, Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy. That's also known commonly as Principia, which is an abbreviation of its original Latin title. And Halley actually edited Principia, and he paid for its printing. He believed in it so much. So he became intimately acquainted with its contents, including Newton's calculations on elliptical orbits. Edmund Halley began meticulously analyzing the orbits of 24 comet sightings that were on record. It was using those calculations that Halley noticed that the orbits of the comets that had been seen and reported in 1531 and 1607 appeared to be the same one that he had seen in 1682. With additional examination of the data he had available, Edmund Halley determined that the comet was on an orbit that took about 76 years to circle the sun, with variables such as planetary gravity shifting the time to be slightly longer or shorter. And using that information, he then predicted that the comet would once again fly by the Earth in late 1758 or early 1759. When Halley initially made this prediction, he seemed pretty confident about it, writing, quote, I can undertake confidently to predict the return of the comet in 1758. Though over the years, his language in discussing this whole matter became less assertive. He started saying things like, I may venture to foretell in a preface to discussing his prediction. But throughout, he was constantly refining his astronomical tables, and eventually he felt fairly certain once again of the time frame that he had set for the comet's predicted return. And there were other astronomers working on this idea as well. Alexis-Claude Clairaut, for example, came to the conclusion that the comet would return in 1759, in the spring, not 1758. Edmund Halley died in 1742, so he did not live long enough to see if his prediction was accurate. And he knew that would be the case. And he famously wrote, quote, 
If it should return, according to our predictions, impartial posterity will not refuse to acknowledge that this was first discovered by an Englishman. And just as Edmund Halley had predicted, on Christmas 1758, the comet was seen in the night sky. And this was lauded as a massive validation for the work of both Isaac Newton and Edmund Halley. Shortly after the comet's Christmas Day reappearance, French astronomer Nicolas-Louis de Lacaille, who also worked on calculating comet orbits, gave the comet Halley's name. Its official designation is actually 1P slash Halley. Since the 18th century, numerous sightings of astronomical events have been determined to have been sightings of Halley's Comet. The oldest documented sighting that is believed to have possibly been Halley's Comet happened in 466 BCE and was visible from ancient Greece. The next time the comet is expected to pass by Earth is the summer of 2061. I want to thank... Eves Jeffcoat for her work on the research for this episode, and Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their always incredible and professional audio work. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast, you can do so. Uh, you can find This Day in History on Apple Podcasts, on the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Stick around tomorrow because we're going to talk a little bit about a fairly new holiday tradition. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a show where we peel back a new layer of history every day. The day was December 25th, 1831. The Baptist War, also known as the Christmas Rebellion, began in the British colony of Jamaica. Gathering the support of up to 60,000 enslaved people, it was one of the largest slave uprising in the British West Indies and contributed to Britain's abolition of slavery two years later. At the time of the uprising, Jamaica was home to more enslaved people than free people. Enslaved people were forced to labor on sugar plantations, and harsh punishments were common. Throughout the 17th and 18th centuries, enslaved people led many resistance efforts. Buying and selling enslaved people was banned in the British Empire in 1807, but people could continue to own them. But by 1831, the abolition movement was well underway in the United Kingdom, and anti-slavery resistance was taking place across the British Empire. Jamaican planters voiced their opposition to emancipation as the issue of slavery was being debated in British Parliament, and many Black people in Jamaica were taught reading, writing, and religion by missionaries. That meant that they, too, were keeping up with the slavery debate across the British Empire. Enslaved Baptist preacher Samuel Sharp led many people to believe that emancipation was coming soon or that Britain had granted their freedom and the masters were withholding it. And an economic downturn that affected impoverished white people made some of them allies with enslaved people who called for emancipation. Preachers also used Christian theology to argue that they should have only one master, and that was Jesus. On top of that, many enslaved people believed that Baptist missionary Thomas Burchell would return to Jamaica from his trip to England with a paper declaring their freedom. When he came back empty-handed, their anger escalated. Samuel Sharp, who was afforded limited freedom of movement as a leader, went about planning a strike. He and other leaders of the resistance encouraged others to join the strike. 
Missionaries discouraged people from joining the effort and refused their assistance, though some were later accused of contributing to the cause. Regardless, on December 25, 1831, enslaved Black laborers went on a general strike. Many of the strikers were Christian, particularly Baptists. Led by Samuel Sharp, they advocated for basic freedoms, better working conditions, and a living wage. They refused to return to work until their demands were met. But when their demands were refused and word spread that the British planned on using force, the strike turned into an all-out revolt. On December 27th, rebellion erupted on the Kensington estate near Montego Bay. They looted and burned plantations across western Jamaica, and white people fled town. The uprising only lasted until the first week of January, as the British brutally suppressed it. Troops and militia were sent to quell the uprising, and though the rebels put up a fight, they were overpowered by the colonial forces. Some scattered resistance continued, but plantation owners and the Jamaican government retaliated after the rebellion was over by killing many enslaved people and burning churches where they worshipped. Around 207 of the enslaved laborers and 14 white people were killed during the uprising. More than 300 more enslaved people were later executed for involvement in the revolt, including Samuel Sharp. The Baptist War did not end slavery in Jamaica. It did help convince more people that slavery was not politically viable anymore, as it resulted in a lot of property damage and loss of life. In 1833, the Parliament of the UK passed the Slavery Abolition Act, making the purchase and ownership of enslaved people illegal throughout much of the British Empire, leading to emancipation in Jamaica. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can keep up with us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHC Podcast. You can also email us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening. I hope to see you here again tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.